We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. So, I was a rookie cop. I was working day watch hours. I was responding to a call and on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, kind of a couple stores away from where Heidi Fleiss had a shop back in the 90s. Uh, and we get a call of some um, possible burglars uh, stuck in a commercial building. So every once in a while you get that, you know, there's some knuckleheads do a tunnel job or whatever to get stuck and injured. They call the police to bail them out incredibly. But this time, uh, like a neighboring store said, hey, this is a, it's a closed um, space, commercial space. And we hear two people in there. Uh, like screaming and yelling, asking for help. And uh, the owners are long gone. So like, okay, this should be interesting. It's Hollywood. There's always has a twist to things. So I, uh, my partner grab, gets in the, takes the front. I go around the back and there's a back alley and there's kind of like a, uh, like a little bathroom type of window. And, and I roll up over there and I could hear some people inside. So I was like, hey, you know, we, we tried the doors, but they're all locked. And I said, hey, is uh, anyone in there? And I hear, you know, a couple of voices. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're stuck in here. So I started a little dialogue and I'm starting to hear a familiar voice. And it sounds like um, (laughs) Holy Shore. And for those that aren't, uh, don't remember, like before, like Holy Shore really popped. He was on a show on MTV called Remote Control. (laughs) It was a game show. It was yeah. pretty cool and innovative back then. So as I'm talking to him, I'm like, hey, man, what's, what's your name? He's like, my name's Pauly. I'm like, uh, Pauly, why? He's like, Pauly, sure. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's like candid camera. I'm like looking around. Am I getting punked over here? Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I, I knew a little bit of his background. So I asked him a yeah. couple of questions that established his bona fides. And I'm like, yeah, this is uh, really Pauly, sure. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing in there? Which I hear another voice, and they said, uh, "We'll tell you just get us out of here. We're stuck in here. We've been in here about you know an hour or so." I was like, "All right." So we, somehow we find uh, we get a phone number to the owner, and it was a, a business that was under construction. So they we get the key to it, open it up, and out walks Paulie Shore and Adam Sandler. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so. By that time, you know, I'm, I'm the rookie there, and I'm there with all these old grizzled vets. They don't know <laughs> MTV from ABC yeah. to CBS. They don't know who Sandler or Paulie are. Yeah. And so they come out, and they immediately want them, uh, you know, buttoned up. So I got them in cuffs, and and my sergeant's like, hey, you know, get these guys' names, start running them, you know, just treating them like, you know, like it was a regular actual burglars. So yeah. I'm trying to be diplomatic and, and not, you know, make them make them look bad, try to appease everyone's ego. So I'm getting their information going through the steps. And then I kind of pull the sergeant aside and I tell him like, Hey boss, um, these guys aren't actually burglars. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? I said, no, they're, you know, they're the comedians. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, ah, trust me, the comedians, I've seen them on TV. And then they're like, we'll run them anyway. <laughs> I'm like, okay. It's like, Go back to the MBT, start running them. Of course, they clean and yeah. come back. And uh, so I start talking to him. I said, "Hey, uh, so what happened?" So 
Paulie and Sandler are walking down Hollywood Boulevard and they they're probably getting zooted or whatever and they got to go to the bathroom. So they just find like the nearest place they go in there to use the bathroom and unbeknownst to them, the place, you know, is under construction. The crew bounces and locks them in there and they get stuck and now they become burglars. So I hook them up. The sergeant, you know, reads them the riot act, you know, that you could be arrested for trespassing, blah, blah, blah. And they're actually pretty cool about it. They're like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Doing all, you know, saying, uh, doing the step and fetch routine. And then, uh, I ended up seeing Paulie in, a, in another bizarre place down the road, which is another story. But that was it. For a day, I was working as a rookie, and I met Paulie Shore and Adam Sandler in one of the most bizarre circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did, did, did Paulie Shore say you were harshing his mellow? Was that what he used to say? Like, dude, you're harshing my mellow. And I never, <laughs> I never knew what the hell he was talking about. But just like within the last week, maybe, I heard a guy reference that, say it like two or three times. And it was See, driving me crazy, man. I was like, harsh in my mellow. I know I've heard that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're killing my high, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, he does sound like that in real life. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's I, real, can't even, I can't even. It's not even an act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can imagine like Sandler's over there just just cutting up too, or maybe he's scared. Yeah, he was kind of he was kind of low key. Yeah, Paulie was yeah. the spokesman. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the so the voice everyone the voice y'all hear is Nako Nolan, a dude that uh, one of the first guys I met on Instagram, um, and I, I did some music post about one of the greatest bands ever, H two O. Uh, and made a reference about punk rock cops or something. We just got to, to talking back and forth and uh, have pretty much just a very similar background in police work, definitely similar background in music and how we grew up and our passion for police work and trying to just be good ambassadors. And Ski's heard me talk about you quite a bit, man. And I'll say this, that we're going to get into to some some police background stuff and talk about music and talk about whatever the conversation takes us. But I will say that, uh, and and I stand by when it, when I say that you're the most well connected man <laughs> in the the police world, uh, Instagram world, music, whatever. And I throw a name out there, and here comes a story. Like somehow <laughs> you're connected to them, and I love it, man. I, lo I always love hearing your stories and stuff. But ski ski and I've been kind of um scheming behind the scenes to get you on and you're finally on so i'm glad and i want to jump right in and just talk about uh your your background like where you came from like when i hear people talk i hear their accent the same way when mm -hmm. people hear me talk they know they know immediately that i'm from the south they know immediately I that the <laughs> ski is not that they think he's from the south but he's not from the south what he's from like about? South Alaska or something. I don't know where he's from. <laughs> yeah, even better. And I know I can tell for sure that Nako's from Alabama. No doubt yes. about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The northern yeah. part, though, the good part. The no northern Alabama, <laughs> for sure. Right, right, right. So growing up, man, where did you uh, where'd you grow up? What were you into when you were like young? I'm saying like teenager age. Teenager age, yeah. Just yeah. growing up in uh in Queens, New York, you know, one of the five boroughs that's uh suddenly becoming hip now before just all in a family type of a uh, type of scenario and uh, just blue collar, uh, hard scrapple people, hard gold out there and just civil service land. You know, you're the cop, criminal, priest, gangster, whatever, and a great place to grow up. And it, I just happened to 
my family was really uh, musically not inclined, but just uh, music absorbed their world. It was my dad was a huge Stones fan. He was an Army Ranger, and he saw to date he's seen every Stones tour except for when he was in Vietnam. So when they came to America in '63 or '64 mm. to present day, we just went to see the Stones down in Florida. With, where he lives. And so he's seen them every time. So just my mom, my dad, uh, my grandmother, uh, she was always rocking, you know, Frank Sinatra and all, all like the, the swing door scene, all that stuff. So wherever I went, there was, there was mu good music being played. And then I just c continued that tradition and uh, speaking to my grandmother and uh, music and all that, where my spectrum's all over, you know, uh, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm sure like you guys, you listen, listen to everything, you know, we have a specialty in certain things, but, as long as it's good music, we're into it. And one of the music, one of the musicians that uh, I got into you was uh, Les Paul and mm. the creator of the guitar, Les Paul. And when I was a real young lad, probably about like maybe 12 or 13, I found out in the news and uh, music papers that Les Paul used to do, I think it was like a Monday night down at a little jazz club in Manhattan. So, you know, Back in uh, the '80s, I guess it was uh, wasn't uncommon. I mean, you just we I was ranged, you know, raised as just like a free range teenager. So I just hopped on the train and went down to Manhattan. Decides you go uh, go see Les Paul. So of course I hit up my buddies. Hey, there's this guy's amazing guitarist uh, named Les Paul. And they're like, who? What? What does he play? No, nah, man, we're not going to that. So there I am on the train going to myself, and I. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I mean, this guy, if you know music or guitars, uh, just a legend's legend. You know, everyone bows at the altar of Les Paul, Eddie Van Halen, Slash, you, you name it, they, they pay homage. So I watch his set. He comes off stage and I had like a little tie on, you know, like, hey, jazz, I got to go proper. You know, I got to like <laughs> found a white dress shirt, had jeans on, you know, maybe Doc yeah. Martens or whatever. And yeah. uh, I go up to him, hey, I'm like, hey, Sir, uh, a real big fan of your um, of your guitars and your music. Um, I just wanted to buy you a drink, and he's looking at me up and down. He's like, he's like, kid, you, you want to buy me a drink? You came down here to see me. I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, hell, let me buy you a drink. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like, sure. So I'm like yeah. 12 or 13, and Les Paul buys me a drink, and he's like, what are you gonna have? And I couldn't think of anything. I'm like, um, scotch and soda, because I just. <laughs> What I just uh, read Catcher in the Rye not too long ago, and Holden Caulfield, that's what he would drink. That yeah. was the first thing. So so only in New York City in that era is a, you know, like a 13-year-old kid <laughs> drinking uh, scotch and soda with Les Paul at a, at a club on a school night in Manhattan. So uh, yeah. night, if I tried night, to one-up you, I couldn't, man. Your first two stories in the first 11 <laughs> minutes of this, like, I got nothing, man. Like... <laughs> I have nothing for you, man. Yeah. So you went to that by yourself, you said? Yeah, I, I was just always enthralled by his, his music. And I was just, yeah, you know, it was, you know, pre-internet. So when I found out, I'm like, wow, he's still alive and he's still mm -hmm. playing. Like, I got to see him, you know, we got to see it That's in the flesh. liberating, man. I went to a show in high school and I, I was, I know I was old enough to drive. So I was like 16 and I couldn't find anybody to go see Soulfly with me. And I loved Max Cavalera and anything he did. So I remember going to this show by myself. A little nerves, you know. It's a that's a pretty heavy show. You're only six, you know, 16 years old, and uh, man, it turned out being awesome. Just liberating to go by yourself and like I'm going to see this band whether anybody's coming or not. So 
that's badass though. But I wasn't twelve, and I didn't <laughs> drink. Uh, yeah. I didn't drink a cool drink with a famous rock star. Yeah. So I was I was like uh, sixteen, had my driver's license, and my brother and cousin wanted to go uh, in, into like downtown, like where we grew up, and and just drink at a bar. And they're like, "Oh, don't worry about it. You, you can hang out too. You drive, we'll go down there, man. We'll just all hang out, and then you can just drive us back." And I'm like, "I don't. I'm thinking like at 16, I don't know that I can get in a bar that y'all are gonna go to. Well, of course, I can't go in the bar they're going into, right? It's like mm-hmm. a club slash bar, or whatever. Like you gotta check your ID and stuff. So we're downtown, and I'm like, now what am I gonna do? You know? So I end up like just walking. I don't know, I'm like four or five blocks down to this one club." that they've torn down now. It's, they're not obviously not playing shows because they don't exist, but it's a, a well-established club in the South and a band called Sheer Terror mm. <laughs> out of New York just happens to be playing. So I'd only heard like one song on a, on a New York hardcore compilation uh, where the wild things are, I think is what it was. But I was like, man, it's like 10 bucks. I'll check it out. So I like, ski saying like, he was a little nervous. I already knew what the crowd was going to be like. I go in there and it is like every, paratrooper and marine had just decided they're gonna go see sheer terror and there's only like maybe 70 or 80 of them in there and of course i like to get in the pit and all that i was like ah i must i must set this one out so i mean feel y'all feel free not you all but whoever's listening feel free to just google some sheer terror and you'll see what i mean like it got it got pretty vicious in there i was like yeah i'm gonna, I'm gonna set this one out and that's this the is only one that- this is one of those establishments that's been bulldozed, but you can still smell the beer and cigarettes in the area from from that building, man. The, yeah, and the and the patchouli and the clove cigarettes too. Like that was the cool thing back then. But but no, I said I said to only say I've only been to one show um, by myself ever like that, and it just happened to be that. Um, but but it, it was it was a little uh, unnerving. I'll say it was fun, but it was also unnerving because. I didn't know, you know, when these cats, I bumped the wrong dude, man, and it's over with. There's going to be like eight paratroopers stomping my head in, man. Yes, you're going to get the 80-second uh, stomp, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So now, so so you, you go see uh, Les Paul. Uh, you're not being a phony. You're out there <laughs> hanging like Holden Caulfield. So what was like the first punk rock or metal show? I don't know, because you, you got into metal at a young age too, right? Yeah, it, it was all. I think it was all in one. Same, was, yeah. Know, yeah. Rock. Then uh, you know, you start. You know, uh, we're huge uh, literary fiends mm-hmm. with books mm-hmm. and all that. So once you start, you find out about Led Zeppelin, then you walk it backwards and find out about Robert Johnson and Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon, mm-hmm. and then you know, one just one you know one thing leads to another, and then you know you, you find out about Henry Rollins, and you're like, and then you find out he was in Black Flag. So it was just constantly something would pop up and yeah. then I would just do, do my due diligence and find out the history of the band and what their influences were. And then just, you know, and then walk it back. So it was mm-hmm. always a, a constant push pull. So it was pr- pretty much anything that was just aggressive music. So I, which I think is, you know, it could be Howling Wolf to, um, to, you know, the Rollins band, you know, to the Yardbirds. If, it, if it's got distortion and it's got a good beat, I'm in it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but my thing, uh, my entryway into the hardcore scene was uh, Cro-Mags. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was seeing some of my favorite musicians and they have a t-shirt on like a sick of it all or Cro-Mags. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, if they're wearing that, that's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta yeah. be the heat, you know? So let <laughs> yeah. me find out what that is. So. Mm-hmm. 
I, I love I love what you're saying because you can do it. I mean, they don't have to create any more new music starting today, and you could forever keep going down rabbit holes of music that's been recorded for the last 80, 90 years. And that, that's so it's so much fun to find those bands, you know, like an old vinyl that's you know from the seventies, and you're like, oh, this looks cool, and you pop it on, and you find gold like that, and then like you said, you start chasing the individuals in the band and realize they're part of some other band and like, man, that's, that's what I love about music. Cause it's just, it's never ending. Yes. Yes. You mentioned Soulfly, And I just kind of just got into Sepultura from uh, a mutual friend, Toby from H2O. Yeah. I was at one of the H2O gigs that he did during the, the COVID deal. And uh, I see this dude uh, who ends up being a singer and really good friend now, Derek Green. And we just start talking about, uh, jiu-jitsu in brazil and all you notice i had a shirt a brazilian shirt and then uh i find out he's the singer in sepultura and i obviously always knew about the band i think i even had an album that someone gave me i just never listened to it was just one of those bands i was always revered but for some reason it just never i just never heard them before you know i, I knew of them and then boom i meet you know meet derek and uh i hear them i'm like wow boy did i miss out <laughs> on, yeah. on a lot <laughs> And now I'm catching up. So it's so cool. Yeah, just if you keep an open mind and just meet the right people and, and look for things. And then, whew, like you said, they, they didn't record anything, you know, from here on out. There's so much I got to discover or anyone can discover. And by you just got to just do a little uh, detective work and just uh, dig through the stacks, you know. 100%, man. The song that got me hooked on Sepulterra is Propaganda. I can put that song mm. on repeat. And if you're just starting to listen to them, <laughs> that is one of the heaviest songs. And it's just like, it's an anthem right now, man. And and it's so fitting for 2022. <laughs> oh. So, so I'm, I'm going to jump in and say Sepultura and I was in high school when Chaos AD came out, the album uh, Chaos AD. And I was, I was into like hardcore and, and punk and just different and old thrash. I grew up, you know, listening to DRI and stuff, but Man, when Sepultura hit, it was like a perfect merging of all these sounds and influences. But but there's a song called Refuse Resist off that album. I was at, I was at Myrtle Beach, Stone Cold Sober. I don't I don't drink. Like I've never been yep. drunk. Any like so so I, I but but music was just man. I would get I would get going. So I'm at Myrtle Beach, fourth floor hotel, and I keep thinking it's going to be good to jump off this balcony. It's going to be good to jump off this balcony. <laughs> My cousin's there who was in the Marine Corps and a buddy of mine who I later uh, served in the Army about the same time we went to high school, and he was just like a brawler. He was one of those dudes that could throw a haymaker, freaking jawbreaker, just like, and, and knock people out. Greatest guy in the world that we still eat breakfast together, but we start blasting Sepultura, refuse, resist, put the speakers on the balcony, and the pool is loaded, right? We start jumping off the balcony into the pool. And of course, right out as soon as we jump out, the whole hotel goes crazy. We come running back upstairs, and the phone rings, and it's the the uh, owner of the hotel. And that was the one rule he had: do not jump off my balcony. I don't care what y'all do; don't jump off my balcony. And we're what do we do now? We're grabbing all our stuff, running because he's called the police. But to this day, people still laugh because I don't do crazy stuff. But man, that music, like I just like I had to do it. You know what I mean? Like it just you get fired up and i've never seen them live and that's the one thing that i want to see them live even you know like um the the configuration they have now with daryl singing and stuff i want to see them man you know what i'm saying 
Naco, I love picking on BC, but he's listening to Refuse Resist and it, one phone call and they, they cease and desist all their, their behavior. <laughs> you, what? <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, hey you know what? <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't go to jail that day. I can tell you're, you that. You're a badass, bro. You're hey, badass. I, did, I did not go to jail and I had the money to get bail out none of that so i was like we're out hey, some, we're of, some of these hotel owners can be a little scary man they, they deal with shit day <laughs> in and day out you, you don't want to you don't want to mess Look, with I, a hotel owner man I, I will say this we did have always had some of the best service there because my brother was very free with the beer so every time like the cleaning ladies would come through he would crack them a beer or maybe somebody else would pack them a bowl or something you know? and they they'd hang out and smoke it up and drink and tell stories and then Get us all we need, towels, whatever, man. We're good to go. Yes. Yes. Yeah, extra kinds, your service people. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, Sepultura, um, I like that one. That was one that was that was a good merge right there. How about uh like the first time you ever like got in the pit or any time that like you went to a show and it was just like the crowd was different or just more amazing, I should say, than maybe other shows. The first thing that you, when you say getting in a pit and, you know, thrashing and moshing, whatever you want to call it, skanking, I just yeah. remember we had a battle of the bands at our uh, high school. Mm-hmm. And so it was like freshman. Uh, I might've, might've been before I was even in the high school anyway, went to the battle of bands and it was like one of my, you know, first time, like, you know, personally just, you know, where it's all my peers and the, the place just went zoo and the, you know, it was, mm-hmm so heat so hot in there and so loud and just with every all of my bros and it couldn't have been any better i mean i felt like i lost like 50 pounds and you know blood sweat and tears i mean it was unbelievable and i was like wow i i want to do this every day how can we do this and and then the, you know the rest was history man battle the bands playing i think they, they just played like someone played the four horsemen and then that was it uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we taking were... it back to kill them all, man. man. So you just said something that that stuck out to me, man, because I think a lot of people don't understand. Like they would look at people like us and go, "You guys are like idiots for going in like a mosh pit." Like I don't get it. Like everybody's beating the shit out of me, but it's not really the case, man. But like there is this contagious energy in there that that in the only place you can find it is there, man. It's like. It's like somebody plugged you into that guitar that's playing and you're like part of the song and like you can feel every last emotion in there, man. And that's what's so fun. Like you said, you're with your buddies, you're bleeding, you're sweating, probably teeth getting knocked out, man. But it's like it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a release, man. Like all those endorphins are hey, man. It's, it's, I, I can't get enough. I'm I'm 40 years old, man, and I still can't stay out of the pit. I pay for I mean, it the next week, but I'm a grown ass man. But I'm like a little kid when I see a mosh pit at a show. Like I still have to go in. Yeah, humans need a release. It's going to come out somehow, so you might as well make it productive. If you're not in a pit, it may be in a in a riot somewhere. I mean, that's how how these things happen. Where you know you're rolling through a riot and you and you roll up these people that have no rap sheet or whatever, and they just caught up in a moment. And it's that mm-hmm. feeling. It's that euphoric feeling that you get. Uh, the reckless abandon we just get in touch with that lizard brain and our primitive side and just go buck wild so you got you got to pick your uncontrollable controlled environment because it's it's coming out especially especially young young adult uh, young males we got a lot yeah. of angst 
And, yeah, uh, I got a, I got a riot tactic, man. Next time all these uh, Antifa dudes show up, it's a funny thing about like these guys, right? That we probably all have music in common, mm-hmm. minus the <laughs> fact that they're Antifa, you know, terrorist organization, if you will, and then law enforcement. You cut you cut that out. We probably all like the same music, man. So if you have a mobile metal band that just shows up at these riots and just starts ripping, then they turn all their attention there. You got a pit and everything's cleaned up, man. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That, that would that would be kind of interesting if I, I all of a sudden. That. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> like, hold on a second, like, and you see one if, if like one on each side does the old circle pit finger over the air, just circling it up. Yeah, man. It'd be a beautiful thing, man. Just like everybody reverse, stop riding. Like a just, reverse flash mob, man. Like it, yeah, yeah. So like so uh, so all jokes aside, uh, obviously, like I talked about earlier, you're you're a cop uh and riots were were pretty bad what for maybe two years out in la right like recently or or you know what always been yeah yeah you know it seems like um it's been an ongoing thing the last couple of years of just spontaneous and you know semi-planned little events throughout the city so it's become the new like they say the new normal but if it's uh Mm. or the new abnormal i should say so we've been gotten we've our guys have gotten really good at uh, going through riots, because I mean, usually you know, every twenty years or something new, something like this happens. Yeah. But but now the yeah. way society is going, uh, it's a different story. But uh, I mean, hey, if I was thirteen or fourteen years old, I I might be on that other side. Who knows? You know. Mm-hmm. So I sympathize with these with these kids, and don't agree with a lot of it. But hey, I mean, like we said, it's it's a it's a primal feeling. So the best thing to do is that outlet. So music yeah. was always my savior, my and my outlet. Well. All my guys, my you know, dudes in high school getting drunk and high. You know, I was jamming in the basement with my drummer and a, a bass player, and sometimes a singer here and there if we could find mm-hmm. someone. And that was mm-hmm. that was that was always my outlet: uh, books, music, mm-hmm. film. And without that, I could have been that knucklehead out there, you know, doing some uh, damage on the wrong side. So, and, yeah, and you and you you raise a good point, and we've talked about this before, and Ski and I talk about it, and we harp on it all the time, but. Yeah, at 13 or 14, if if this same thing were going on when I was a kid or, or we were all kids or whatever, I would probably find myself leaning more towards that. And a lot of that would be based on police interactions, you know, that were negative, that were uh, kind of that stereotypical power tripping, you know, mustache wearing kind of cop when we were kids. But I remember um, in high school, I believe it was, or somewhere around there, when Ice-T came out with uh, Cop Killer. And how at first I, I was like, man, that's that's bad. But w- when I was listening to the lyrics, yeah, I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm as an adult, as I get older and I'm thinking, you know, like, OK, this is coming from the perspective of a person being pushed too far. So, so maybe the message could be if you're going to take it because music is like literature. You don't, you don't want to ban it. You don't want to you don't want to squash it or squelch it. You, you listen to it or you don't listen to it. If you do listen to it, what can you take from it? And really good music and really good art can change your point of view. And my point of view has always been for two decades. I do not ever want to mistreat someone or have someone have a thought in their head that they either want to kill me because I mistreated them or worse, go out and kill another officer in the same uniform because they can't get to me. And and I do think that music can have that effect on people. And I think right now we're, we're living in an era and we talk about it all the time, but 
they're like we call them like punk rock cops or metalhead cops that are like they're in all these departments doing really good work like i mean amazing work and some of them holding rank and actually influencing and changing the newer officers perspectives the newer detectives and guiding and then even up the chain some sergeants lieutenants whatever with that mentality of always treating people with the most respect you can because we always remember how it was being a kid and and sometimes being mistreated and then saying but it doesn't have to be that way you know when i join i don't have to be the robot i, I can be the cop that you know rides the beat or walks the beat is good to everybody but when it's go time it's go time if someone's got to go to jail they got to go to jail but i don't want to mistreat anybody i don't ever want to bring disrespect or have someone you know call me robocop behind my back or whatever so it's just one of those things that i think that that sometimes music like especially when we go to talking about it or post something a song some people may see the title or reference the band and then they go oh I, i'm not even gonna listen to that because the band seems like they're anti whatever but sometimes it's good to listen to that listen to that other point of view listen to what what anger someone has or hatred and then maybe it's justified maybe it's not but then you can have a good conversation with them that actually makes sense and not shouting people down or whatever hey let me step down off of that soapbox real quick <laughs> we'll get we'll get back to the fun stuff yeah i just I, sorry about that i just went no, off. no no no, it's, but, it's, it's, yeah. it's a powerful message. I mean, that's what's so cool about the punk rock and hardcore scene was there was no barriers between the band and the fans. There wasn't mm -hmm. any holier than now where you'd go to a Van Halen or Guns N' Roses or whatever. You're like, you're never going to see those guys and mm -hmm. they're never going to come down to our level of the fans. But in that our other community, you know, there was it was eye to eye. So that's how we do things on the streets like, hey, um, you're the band and I'm the fan and you know, we're one of the same and it's the same thing on the street. Like, Hey, I'm the cop. You're the criminal. I understand where you're coming from. You understand where I'm coming from. It's business. You know, you got to do your thing. I catch you, you run from me. I put you in jail mm -hmm. and, and we shake hands and we uh, go out separate ways. You know, there's no animosity or yeah. whatever. And then you just try to understand each other, you know, and, and find out a little bit more. And then you find out you have more in common than you don't have in common. Yeah. And that's always the case, man. So did you start West Coast or did you actually start in uh, New York City in law enforcement? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did both. I started in New York. And uh, yeah, that's that'll take me like another hour or so. <laughs> but yeah, I had uh, the best of the uh, best of the both the worst worlds, you could say. So uh, New York and uh, NYPD and L.A. So it's uh, it's been a great ride, man. So I'm intrigued, though. So what? um What's some of the major differences that you saw? Because I love watching like all the West Coast 90s movies. And I think we were talking about it before we even logged on like Friday and like training day and like where a lot of this stuff was shot. And if mm -hmm. you're uh, if you're into the gang culture and the, and the drug world and all that, man, like they, they film in some of those neighborhoods that like as a young cop, you're like, I would love to be in that neighborhood in a police yes. car, you know? So like what was the difference between new york city and, and la or is there a difference is there a different vibe is there a different attitude yes totally different especially back then now it's kind of they're kind of merging and uh there's a lot of influence going back and forth you know since we had a, a common police chief a guy named bill bratton he was a police commissioner in nypd and then became our chief in la and so it's kind of become one stream but in the 90s uh, you can almost say like uh, LA was like a, a hardcore band. It was very small. 
wasn't many of us, uh, but we, uh, you know, hard hitting, uh, aggressive and in your face. And you definitely remember them. And, and NYPD was kind of a big bloated uh, Atlantic Records signed band, like say uh, Led Zeppelin, where it was very, you know, um, very different, you know, if yeah. I could put the two together. And yeah. if you got it, you if you stepped in our way in, in LA, I mean, it, it was repercussions. Yeah. We had to be a force multiplier, which right or wrong, is just the way it was through fear and intimidation. And when you don't have a lot of, uh, you don't have a lot of assets, you got to make people aware, like, hey, if you step out, uh, you know, the whip comes down. Whereas mm-hmm. in NYPD, we had a, we had more, we could, we could give more breaks. We didn't have to, you know, keep out, you know, keep the boot on someone's head per se, and uh, we could police in a, in a different diplomatic fashion. And so we had, a, we had kind of had that luxury since we had so many people. So it's uh, two, two totally different ways of policing and uh, there's pros and cons in both. But I, I, I was raised in that pop culture stream as well. Like when I saw colors, I mean, uh, I wanted to be Sean Penn so bad it hurt. I mean, I wanted to have that Ray jacket on and the jeans and uh, work crash, which was our uh, anti-gang unit. And I, I got to do it. It was great. Oh, so um, I loved it. And you got to work both of those major cities during like the best hip hop beef of all time, man. Yes. Like, East Coast, West Coast rivalry, like tracking the music, like with the Biggie and crew and then Tupac and crew and everybody that falls in line. Any uh, any cool encounters with any of that stuff? I mean, you were kind of right right then and there. Yeah, right? it was. It's funny you mentioned Biggie. I was at a bar, seeing a band called Floggy Molly, which is uh, <laughs> they're huge now in that in the mm-hmm. in their lane. And but they used to play Mondays at this uh, just Irish pub in L.A. That was they, they were nobody. It was kind of just a house band, and maybe like 20, 30 punters would be in there at most. And so I'd go every Monday and. Yeah, uh, one night you just—I was always big on on vibes, you know, trusting your gut. So I was good with that. And one night I just said, "Hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna cut it early. I'm gonna go home." And everyone was like, "What? What are you talking about? You know, fans coming on this and that." I said, no, "I just don't feel good. You know, got a weird feeling." And uh, I left and find out the next day, like maybe a half an hour or so later, forgot the exact timeline, but um, Biggie ended up getting waxed. You know about a, a couple blocks away from where mm. uh, flogging was playing. And I was like, there you go. It's like, there it yeah. is. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, just went with my gut and, you know, and um, it may, it ended up being the right decision. And then, uh, and then, and then on the other flip side of like, you know, knowing, knowing who, who's who in the zoo, I had a friend uh, that was on the job, this guy named uh, Darren's, awesome dude funny as hell I, i'd be able to i couldn't tell the stories on his this guy was so x-rated but <laughs> you know in a funny way but long yeah, story yeah. short his cousin was uh red man oh okay uh, not red man method man I always get those two mm. guys confused method mm-hmm. man so i was working uh vice at the time and i we see this suv and it was kind of just at the, the height of you know that whole the whole wu-tang thing and guys rolling around suv you know glocked up and Mm. Uh, maybe uh, you know, transporting. Who knows? And uh, I said, "Hey, look at these guys." I said, uh, "These guys are definitely dirty." And uh, so we jam them up. And as I'm rolling up on uh, the car, I see I uh, flash my light. There, you know, we get everyone to roll down the windows. Of course, everything's tinted out, blacked out. And it's um, and uh, oh, prior to that, as um, as uh, I'm fanning out, I kind of see guys like 
guy dip in shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I was like, oh boy. So I, yeah. I re- really know what that means. And uh, mm-hmm. so I shine my light, come in hot. And I see it's, uh, I see it's meth. And I was like, yeah. I was like, hey man, I, I know who you are. You know, don't worry. You know, you, you know, <laughs> I know what you just stashed. And it, so then my eyes got all big. And mm-hmm. uh, so they kind of settled down a little bit. And uh, I said, hey, uh, um, Darren's my boy. And he's like, who? I was like, your cousin. And he's like, you know, my cousin. And then after that, it was just like old home week. And uh, we, you know, we ended up chopping it up. And uh, yeah. the guy I was working with had no idea who Wu-Tang was or math or any of that stuff. He's just, yeah. he's yeah. like, who the hell, what are you talking to these guys about? You know, I thought we were looking for straps and, you know, dope and all that. And um, so we just, you know, bridge that gap. I was like, hey, you, you owe your, uh, you owe, you owe your cousin one. So uh, tell him I said, what's up? And man, you know, if he, he looked like he wanted to jump out of the car and give me a hug and all that. So it was, the it was only, pretty the funny. The only thing he stashed was the most expensive weed you can buy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, was, it wasn't him. His boys, you know, they was having, mm-hmm. you know, the, they got the, you know, their uh, bodyguards around them. So oh, yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> about, there's about eight guns in that SUV. Man. Oh, you got to. I mean, he's, he's coast <laughs> yeah. rappers. It was hot back then. I mean, 100%. I would be strapped too. You know, you're rolling around. Yeah. These guys are getting licked up, you know, here and there. So. I stopped a dude. I stopped a dude from New York City one night, and uh, he was in he was in the hood hood, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I get this dude out, and he's got a fur coat on from like neck to the bottom of his heels. And I'm like, I just look at him. I'm like, who are you, man? Like, and he's going on and on. He wasn't saying a whole lot, but just kind of kept saying like, man, you know, I'm from New York. I'm from New York, and. uh he just had that vibe, you know what I mean? But I'm like, nobody, nobody walks around this 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 city with a fur coat on like you got going on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember, he, um, I think he said he was he, he was like he moved, so he was gonna be there, and I was gonna end up dealing with this guy again later. And I think he had like an ounce of weed or something. I wrote him a a citation, but I left him a blunt that he had just rolled sitting in the center console. <laughs> And nice. like he, he thought that was the coolest thing in the whole world, man. I was like, <laughs> Hey man, here's your citation, this and that. I was like, uh, make sure, uh, make sure, uh, you know, I left that cigar sitting there for you. And he kind of looked at me and I looked, I was, you know, just kind of like we were talking about the rapport building. Like he already yeah. got his citation. I got his weed, whatever, but down the road in the future that paid dividends, man. You know what I mean? But yeah, it just reminded me of the, 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 the swag. <laughs> absolutely you know what though now in today's era with body worn video and how it is for your guys agency mm-hmm. you couldn't do that right now like yeah wait you, yeah. that's a neg- that's a neglect of duty you left you know alleged mm-hmm. narcotics in someone's car and like so like the mm-hmm. art of policing of you know of leaving those doors open for communication and and rapport building and all that i mean that's that's what you're working in the gray that's the art of it you know it's, it's it, funny yeah. yeah i agree because police work is not black and white it's written no. black and white like when you go through and read criminal elements and and uh, like arrest search and seizure and this and that um it, it's just not black and white you know so like you know leaving leaving the guy his blunt to go smoke and uh, which someday could lead to information on a homicide or whatever like that you know people just don't understand like there's other shit going on that we need to be worried about. You know what I mean? But yes. people can't see past like the, the bold print like, well, you're an officer, you know, discharging your duties and he's in violation of general statute, such and such. And it's like, hold on a minute. You know, it's not like he's shot somebody in front of me. He's, 
<clears throat> well, he's going to go buy more weed anyways. So yeah. <laughs> you know. one, one of the best sources I had, a patrol officer had been in one of my classes, went back out, you know, applied what I was teaching. And he stops one of the like, one of the more vicious dudes. Right. And I can't say a street name, but you know how like guys have street names linked to violence. You know what they're about. Guys have street names linked to like money, you know, then it's like, oh, all they want to do is make money. Well, this was one of the dudes that was linked to violence, but the officer did, did kind of what he had learned, cut him a break and did the same thing, gave some discretion on a weed charge. And that guy was like, that's the first time a cop's ever cut me a break. It's the, and, and he was being aggressive with the cop and, and he flipped it on him and, and did some rapport building. And that dude basically walked into a room with me sat down and was like, I got some stuff going on. We, we laid out what he had. I signed him up, developed him as a source. And he begins to lay out moves that are already in the, in the works for this certain set. And the whole, I mean, I, at one point I would bring him in and help teach my classes, you know, get on a dry race board and stuff like that. But this dude was like, man, you guys are like, like cool as hell. Like I've never been around cops like this. And I told him, I was like, well, once you see that, that that discretion works, like these little little bitty charges, and now we can work on this, the long game is what are you going to be doing? And that guy's got like an actual job now, raising his family and stuff. But he was one of the ma original like masterminds behind some of these operations these guys were pulling off, and they were trying to use some tactics. But it's that thing of like discretion where nowadays like with a, with the body camera, and I'm not saying don't have body cameras. I'm just saying just like that you everything's on video so you, you have to now go okay well i've got this bag of weed in my hand i can't necessarily look the other way or use some discretion build some rapport and get guns information or get shooting information there was a, there was a dude that has six crack rocks in his hand one time he's got the guy there on the curb handcuffed and the call goes out of a shooting probably like three blocks down the street they probably could hear the report a rifle or whatever and this this officer just throws the six the six rocks as hard as he can, and the other officer uncuffs the dude, and they're like, "It's your lucky day." They jump in the car, boom, take off. Probably end up coming close to either catching a shooter or at least establishing a perimeter. Blah blah blah. That takes priority over a drug charge, and it's a felony. But hey, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit there and deal with crack rocks when a shooting just goes out. You're short staffed, and you got to go handle it. But if you have body camera and it sees that, they they probably would that person would probably get written up. You know what I mean? That just it's double edged sword, but I but I like them because it clears a lot of officers for a lot of false complaints. And Nako, you're a supervisor, correct? Yes. Yeah. So it, it takes that old school mentality, and I think we need it right now more than ever to to train your guys and teach them. Like you know, as a supervisor, you know, it, it comes up to you. Well, hey, this officer, you know, cut this guy a break, this and that. I still think that there is. Um, a chance that you can have supervisors that can talk through that with, you know, the higher ups in the department and even that rapport with the DA's office, like, cause the mm -hmm. DA's office, they know how to wheel and deal. And they understand if you have, if you have a good DA, they know how the game works. Right. So yep. you know, if you're on board with the DA's offices and that, I think you can squash some of that stuff like PC's talking about, like, Hey, you know, what was I supposed to do? You know what I mean? yeah so supervisors like you is what's going to keep that 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 
kind of I, I say old school like like a, i mean i wasn't a cop in the 80s obviously but you know a lot has changed in the last even 10 years and that that style of policing but we need it back so bad i think we touch on this in every episode <laughs> on how it's just it's just gone man like proactive police work and outside the box thinking is completely gone yes our, our mutual friend uh dave you know of uh of um what's his instagram handle uh, oh, hey man uh, it's yeah yeah, yeah. It? how do you say it, the whole thing hey yeah i love his yeah. t-shirt he has a t-shirt yeah. uh, you know uh proactive policing isn't a crime and yeah uh, but unfortunately uh the new waves of officers coming through the pipeline are being taught by people that haven't done any proactive policing mm -hmm. unfortunately so yeah it is our responsibility to look out for the new generation shape and mold them and then when they do mess up or it's a you know, mistake of the of uh, the heart burst of mind of uh, just knowing, you know, Hey, this guy had good intentions, you know, sometimes a bad outcome, you know, don't, uh, don't spank him so hard, you know? Uh, yeah. Teach well, him what he on has the, yeah. On the flip side of that, you know, I'm talking about leaving a guy his blunt. So hopefully mm -hmm. down the road, I can have a run in. I was the same officer though, that would write somebody a citation for trespassing and this gangbanger would take the citation ball it up and throw it down and I'd arrest them physical arrest to the jail for littering. Right. So there's two extremes to it. Right. And then people are like, well, oh, that's so petty, this and that. Well, no, it's actually not. I'm proving a point. You're not going to throw mm -hmm. my citation on the ground and litter up this street. Right. You do yeah, that you two or three times to somebody and they learn that way, you know? So and then they tell their buddies when, when you roll up, Hey, this guy means business. Yeah. Do without what you have to do, what he says, yeah. and that and that'll leave that mitigates problems as well. So it's yeah, not if, you're, if you're not an asshole, I'll cut you some slack, and if you're an asshole, I'm gonna throw the book at you. It, it works both ways, man. But I think the funny thing is, is you know you're gonna catch slack for that too. Well, why are you making a physical arrest on littering? Well, I'll mm -hmm. tell you if you if you understand how the street works, and kind of like you said, that show of force, um, like this is what we're capable of. I understand there's. 38 gang members hanging out on the street and i'm the only beat officer but hey i'm gonna i'm gonna play my cards right and i'm gonna just show you like i'm, I'm gonna take the asshole you know what i mean so mm -hmm. did, did you did you say did you say littering and littering littering and, and, and littering and, <laughs> and? <laughs> that's right so hey so you also did uh was it jttf or was it what was the um we were talking about earlier like ta yes. the um task force fbi's joint terrorism task force yeah tell uh, me tell me a little bit about that man we never ski and i never got into the the jttf stuff we did a little bit of um the other stuff but yeah yeah you're lucky <laughs> yeah, um yeah. <laughs> yeah i was working my pd's counterterrorism side of the house and i got asked to go over to the joint terrorism task force so people don't know it's an fbi led unit comprised of uh different detectives from all over you know whatever your city is so it, i was working with guys from the sheriff's department uh dea an army ranger actually mm. um awesome guy mm -hmm. uh crazy puerto rican kid from jersey just awesome mm -hmm. dude and so we had like the alphabet soup within the alphabet soup uh there's even someone that was a former uh uh, agency that worked on Alex station um, mm, mm -hmm. that was chasing Al-Qaeda before uh, Al-Qaeda was a household name. So just kind of a little bit of a talent pool from all over. And we were charged with uh, investigating international terrorism that had a nexus to, you know, continental U.S., in particular that Los Angeles field office, which uh, our specific domain was uh, 
you know, the government of Iran, Hezbollah, that type mm, of thing. Mm-hmm. So a uh, lot of, a lot of long, everything was long-term investigation. So coming from the PD, it's a lot of quick hits, you know, mm. everything's uh comp stat, you know, show me the numbers for the month and the FBI is, you know, <laughs> pump the brakes and we're doing a, a FISA warrant for 10 years on someone mm-hmm. and uh, just, you know, collecting, collecting Intel, which could be very frustrating coming from the municipal side of the house. But so I gained a lot of experience on that. And, you know, when they, I learned very quickly of when someone, what the expression came from, don't make a federal case out of it. I learned <laughs> what a federal case was and dealing with uh, the AUSAs and having them guide our investigations and saying, I need this, I need that, you need to do this. And I was like, whoa, like mm-hmm. coming from the city, it's like we tell the DAs, this is what you got to do. This is what, mm-hmm. and it was a, so very humbling experience. A uh, very interesting experience. Uh, I'll never want to do it again, but I was very <laughs> glad that I did it. Um, I met some great people, learned a lot of uh, interesting things about, you know, counterintelligence and, uh, you know, working with our federal partners in the intelligence community. And um, God bless those people that are doing it the right way. Saw a lot of good things and I saw a lot of bad things. I realized quickly how 9-11 came to be of, you know, suppressing intelligence and different agencies not working well with other agencies and a lot of egos and, and compartmentalization and over, um, over classification of things that didn't need to be classified just for the sake of it. So a lot Mm -hmm. of pluses and minuses. So great gig. So so two things on that or three things. One or one, the first one is that most people uh, that I've talked to, don't know about those type of assignments. So they think about police work and then they think about, Oh, well there's patrol, there's like SWAT, there's canine, and then there's some detectives, but they don't know like all these different facets of it, or even that there are these task force or probably some assignments you would actually get deployed and roll with some, some people overseas in the different countries and stuff. And so I always like reference books for people and go, look, check, check out this book. You know what I mean? Or check out that one. And yes. one of one of the books um, that I was just talking to someone about was Brooklyn to, to Baghdad. And it's actually Christ- Christopher Strom, uh, who was NYPD intelligence cop, who actually, uh, when he retired, got a phone call of, hey, we know you work some intel stuff. Would you be interested in working with this um, group overseas and applying what you know about doing intel work in a city for NYPD? Now, can you can you replicate that overseas with debriefing people and and I guess basically what you would call flipping someone into a source or at least extracting information from them? But that that book, man, like like I tell people a lot, like to check it out. That guy had had a pretty cool career, and then got into that afterwards after he retired because of his background. And then the other book, man, was Fred Burton, and I think you and I've talked about Fred Burton and Samuel Katz did a book together mm-hmm. called uh, Beirut Rules. And I mean, I've got probably about 30 pages of notes from that book because it goes through all, all the history of Beirut, how Hezbollah came to, to power, all the all the actions that were going on and then the investigations in and out of that. And Fred Burton was actually like a, like a beat officer. I think it was in Maryland and then joined the State Department and then was like one of the first terrorist experts in the U.S. And he could still talk to that guy. You know what I mean? Like he wrote that book. It's like it's just cool. But but I always push that with people about like JTTF and just other assignments that they don't know about. And they, 
It, I mean, I me, mean, there's guys in our own organizations that don't know about it. You know, right. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. got people deployed to the yeah. Philippines going after a terrorist group called MILF. They're like, yeah, this exists. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people were like, hold on, I might want to get in on that. You're like, back it down, tough guy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Google it. Yeah. It's legit. Yeah. It, it, in, our, in our department, a lot of people didn't know the unit that Ski was on. Like I yep. got attached to it for whatever, like a year or something, year and a half doing a, a FBI and um, his unit doing like a Rico. But people didn't even know that. They're like, well, what do they do? You know, they, they get to wear plain clothes. They can wear their hair however they want to. But it's just more of like a focused investigation. You know? And with the capabilities, that, what they have and, and shame on us for the guys in those units for not really advertising that and reaching out to the line. Yeah police stations mm-hmm. and detectives that don't have the time or the capabilities to, you know, to run people through these databases. Like I thinking back on it now, I take ownership on that. Like we got to be the ambassadors of like, Hey, this is what we have. This is what we're capable of and, and bridging that gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you touched on a good point, man, when you're talking about all the nine 11 stuff and the, the harboring of information. And then you, you talked, you talked about it on a big scale, man, but the same thing goes for local law enforcement. Right. And mm-hmm. I never, you know, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I never had an ego in, in any position I was in on the department. And I always wanted to help. And whether you were a rookie that was on for, you know, two weeks or a, a seasoned officer, man, I would like to explain what what I did and what my unit did. That way, when you stop these guys or this and that, like we can all connect the dots, man. And BC used to host... um you know, information sharing meetings, man. And we'd have people right off field training showing up all the way to the higher ups, man. So on the local level and the small departments and whatever, share information just because you're on one of these secret squirrel high speed, you know, uh, units doesn't mean you have to be an ego, you know, driven information, harbor and asshole to everybody else, man. I I think that's a big point to make. Yeah, I and the, when you said that about the ego thing, like it's always been that way. Like, like I call it being ego free. That the units that uh, I work with now, we t- we talk about that. Like that's the strength of the units, is that you don't have that ego. And the best, the best cops I've ever worked with don't have that. You know, and the like when Ski was talking about like almost, um, you have to be like a recruiter for these specialized units and find your replacement within your department. Like I was always scanning, you know the 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 talent out there and be like, that person could do what I do. That person could do what I do. That person could teach my stuff. You know, that person could run these meetings. And when you can do that and, and encourage people to come along, it's like you build this team of just, man, at one point, like excuse me, at one point we probably had about 40 to 50 officers and detectives that were just so plugged in with the gang stuff and they maybe some of them only had like six months on, but they would come to meetings. They'd take notes. You know, half the meeting would be briefings on this gang. And these are the hand signs. These are the tattoos. These are the major players. You know, now let's talk about this gang. And why are we talking about this? Because these two gangs have beef or whatever. And man, these, these uh, um, officers and detectives were just so plugged in. But now it's like, you know, you want to see that. You want to see that next generation pick up. Uh, where, where we're moving on and we may be moving up the chain or going to different assignments. But I think that's one of the things that, that if anybody's listening and they're in police work and if they are getting burned out and they're getting frustrated and they're hitting that wall to try to remember that that next generation is looking for that, you know, and it's almost like we're the parents and do the kids listen to us or are the kids turning us off and going, 
I don't want to hear what you got to say. I'm just going to, you know, check out and just, just hang out in a parking lot for 12 hours a shift and just go to my call and come back. And instead of getting in the mix, getting in the foot pursuits, getting the guns, getting plugged in, you know, catching a murder suspect when you're like a rookie or a one-year officer and you realize, man, I just caught like public enemy number one. You know what I mean? Like that, that feeling hooking you in and going, this is what the job is about. It's not about yes. power trips, you know, it's not power tripping, shining your badge, man. It's like, it's like going out there, putting in work and then encouraging others. Hey, come with me. You know what I'm saying? Like ski was saying, ski was always good about that. Like snatching somebody up and being like, Hey, come on, check this out. I'm going to show you how to do a search of a house. or I'm going to show you how to do a search warrant. Well, you, it made me laugh because you said you're in a, a unit where you can wear anything you want, do your hair any way you want. We would always go up to the DA's office and it was really just me and, a supervisor and one other guy who I'd always referred to my whole career as my partner, but we would, we would always be like business casual dress and people be like, you guys are drug and gang detectives. Like you look like you're going to go to the library and, and study or, or go like work at a bank or something, you know? So you, know, you don't <laughs> they, have they, to it, tell, Hey, tell it right. Ski. Y'all look like, like Abercrombie and Finch models or fit. There whatever. You go. There, yeah, there you That's go. what they look like. They were like clean cut, like you know what i mean but the dudes would crush it and, me and meanwhile i would be over there with like my crap grown out and i'd have old men calling me out to cut thinking i was like some wacko instead of uh yeah wacko. you're one of the defendants you know <laughs> yeah yeah you can Dude, overdo the you can overdo the plain clothes a little he looked little like bit. a pervert hey 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 <laughs> yeah it was creepy man it was a really creepy creepy look i would creep i creeped uh swat guys out quite a bit they're, you know they're they're locked yeah. in operating and, and they, they were like, I don't know what's up with that dude. More telephone operating sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I would play yeah. it up too with, with one of those guys I was around. So I would I would mess with him. But uh but so you did JTTF. You also um you mentioned crash. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, man, that are probably listening to this won't know what that is. Even if you mention colors, they won't know, like the movie. And you, you talked about colors, man. And when I saw that. I was like, that's what I want to do. But I wanted to be Hodges, man. I wanted to be able to, like, have all the wisdom. You know what I mean? Like, Yes, but he had that horseshoe haircut, though. That was the only <laughs> bad thing. <laughs> hey, and I'm working he, on it. I'll be there pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> and and he looked like he was 65, you know, even though he was probably, like, 38. Like, Robert yeah. DeVall was always yeah. one of those guys. Like, he was born just looking 50-something. Yeah. He was just yeah, one, of, yeah. one of those dudes. But, yeah. Except but, yeah. when he was – yeah, except when he was Boo Radley. You know what I'm saying? He was Boo Radley. He looked well. Actually, he did look older then too. I'm telling you, yeah. Look at his uh, high school, you know, high school photos. Probably. Yeah. So one of, one of the one <laughs> yeah one of the lessons I do tell people about colors when they when they watch it, the probably the most powerful lesson, and we always talk about it in, in police work. And I'm I'm giving away the spoiler because people aren't probably going to watch it anyway. But is when Hodges finds his demise in the end it's by the same guy that he had such a good rapport with remember like, like froggy and he's just like yep. yeah you basically you knew who i was you know what i am you know it's what i mean the, I, the old tale the scorpion and the frog you know like yeah you i'm a scorpion <laughs> i'm a scorpion you know you know what i am but no so so crash how how long were you there or can you talk about like at least yeah so crash stood for community resources against street hoodlums and it was uh it's <laughs> Prime, it was primary mission is an intelligence <laughs> gathering 
<laughs> hold up, man, because you got to think about the era right now. That would blow right. someone's mind. Like, hold up, that was y'all's official title. Right. It, actually, the, the first iteration was called Trash, Total Resources <laughs> Against Street Hoodlums. So that didn't go over too well, and they had to rebrand it, as, uh, as the kids yeah. say nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah, so Crash was an intelligence gathering unit uh, mm. within the police department in L.A., anti-gang unit. So our mission was to hit the streets and gather intelligence. So you could do that based on arrests, you know, consensual encounters, um, whatever, whatever tools available. And to take that product, that intelligence and feed that toward to the detective units that are investigating the part one heavy crimes, the homicides, you know, the drive by shootings um, all and everything related to that. So. That was uh, that was the pipeline. That was the that's that was the model for it. So, uh, yeah, colors was um, was a good, somewhat of a good representation of that. And for the the newer guys coming through, uh, the modern day colors could kind of be almost like End of Watch that movie. Like mm-hmm. it kind of really showed the yin and yang, uh, and the, and the good, you know, what a real good what a real partnership is. It had a good good perspective on uh, the day to day, you know, chat that goes on. And the relationship of uh, between partners and the love that you have with someone that's uh, you don't live with, and um, mm-hmm. but then you end up spending more time with than you actually love ones. But yeah. yeah, so back to Crash. Yeah, so I worked uh, I worked at for I don't know about maybe a, a year or two years, and then moved on. And I always stayed in an assignment for about like two years or so. Then I got career ADD and just keep on bouncing to different uh, cool yeah. gigs that I wanted to do. So, yeah. but it was, uh, it ended up getting soiled. Uh, it's named through an individual called Rafael Perez, who was uh, corrupt and ended up getting uh, arrested. Um, and he was uh, loosely portrayed in the movie Training Day by Denzel mm-hmm. Washington. It was kind of a, a loose composite of him. And um, he was not working crash at the time, but he was a member of it at, at one time. And once he got ar- arrested for um, stealing cocaine out of uh, our property, property division, and he uh, uh, put cases on people that worked the crash unit and became known as the, the Rampart scandal. And mm-hmm. that kind of got loosely portrayed on the show, The Shield, with mm-hmm. uh, Michael Chiklis. And mm-hmm. so... LA and the, the movie industry has always been pretty uh, close ties and symbiotic and uh, mm-hmm. for the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. It is crazy uh, to be in law enforcement and, you know, like people like us, I guess I just, you know, I, I would never think about stealing dope. I would never think about stealing money, but like right. what we're exposed to. And if you wanted to go south and go to the dark side how easy it would actually be and eventually you're gonna get caught but you're entrusted with so much responsibility and just you know like what what you find yourself in especially doing these bigger investigations when it comes to a lot of money a lot of dope you know doing search warrants on storage units and finding nothing but money you know what i mean like the opportunities there and you you understand like there are those bad apples that that would seize on it man but when you look look at all the positions and predicaments you're putting i'm just thinking to training day when they go and dig through the floor right and mm-hmm. you know, he's throwing throwing bricks of money and ethan hawk's like uh what are you doing he's like what do you mean what are we doing you know what i mean like that it's so crazy how in real life it, that that opportunity is always there but 
in law enforcement, 99.9% of the guys and girls in the profession would never think about that. You know what I mean? Correct. Yeah. I was just talking to a colleague about like, um, uh, we've been having a, a couple of high profile, like sexual harassment, uh, lawsuits and some, some pretty heavy things that were in the press. And I was like, man, I've, I've been on the job, you know, going on three decades now and I've never seen not one thing like that happen. Mm-hmm. And so I know it does happen. I believe the victims, I was like, I've never been around that. And if I did, man, I would, I would strangle someone if they did that to a woman or, or anyone. <laughs> so I was like, how is that even happening? And, and how is it someone letting that happen? Because if it's on my watch, like no way are you putting your hands on a woman or harassing anyone or giving someone the business. Like you know, we, we're here. And this is why I took this position. I saw shit go down on the street that I didn't agree with. And I want to take action. And that's going to be in the street or it's going to be in the station house. It's going to be dealt with. So mm-hmm. very disheartening to see mm-hmm. people go to the wrong side, whether it's sexual harassment or drugs or whatever. It's like, hell no, not in front of me. If I even know about it, get a hint of it. No, you're out. You're going down. And that's what mm-hmm. people don't people don't hear that in the public. They think we, we cover up for that. It's like that gives us a bad name. It makes us our job harder. It makes it even more dangerous. And no way is anyone covering up for someone. Yeah. Something like that. That, and that's where like a lot of people will throw out that, oh, that's what that thin blue line wall is or whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what we're talking about here. And you're like, oh, that, that wall of silence. And I'm going, it's the opposite. Like we're not in that era of, you know, maybe like Serpico's days or something. Like I, we, we've talked about this on the show before, but I never experienced, I never experienced one police corruption. I never experienced a lot of police corrosion where it just like things start to just go, ah, who cares? I don't care. I'm not going to do my job right or whatever. I didn't experience that. I always saw like very motivated officers. And then when someone was a little less than professional or were doing things a little, little extra, a little, you know, just putting a little too much out there, we would not yoke them up physically. It's just like, Hey, like you're not going to do that. You're not going to, you're not going to go out here in this neighborhood and treat people this way because one it's it's messed up you're giving the the department a bad name but two you're going to make it twice as bad when we come out here and the grandmother who looks through the window is going to think that you're just as bad as the gang member like that's tv stuff we don't do that here on the street like that's i'll actually back bc up on this man and you probably don't even remember this man but i i went onto a unit that you were already on you were working on a gang unit and i actually ended up joining that unit Right. But you had already been there Mm -hmm. for a while and I was kind of the new guy and I was still young, full of piss and vinegar, man. And I remember I I had I self-admittedly my downfall was my mouth, man. I would run my mouth a lot. I would cuss a lot and (laughs) I got it under control eventually, man. But I I would get on my my uh, my uh, what do they call it? The sidewalk sermon and just dress people down, man. And uh, I got on somebody one day and BC pulled me aside and he's like, man, I. I've worked with you a little bit, man. He's like, but what are you doing tonight? And you know, I was just oh, amped wow. up, man. And I, I was talking shit to somebody and he called me out, man. And I'll never forget that, man. When, when, when you call when a peer calls you out, especially somebody you respect, man. Um, and I appreciate him doing that. And, uh, I remember it clear as day. We were working a, a project. We had other, other off like line officers actually working with us and, you're like, dude, you're a little amped up tonight, man. Like, well, what's your deal? You need to tone it down. So, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't remember that, man. Yeah, I. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember it. So I appreciate that, man. See, it's the little things. <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then you, you've got Crash. I was going to say, have you ever read the book Labyrinth? That, of course. That talk, yeah, yeah. So that, and, and I guess that's a halfway accurate uh, book. I mean, I'm not out there, so I don't know. But when I read it, that was, it blew my mind. And then to find, like now, you know, through Instagram, you can find people. And uh, Paul Lazada out of San Francisco is Officer 187 on mm-hmm. Instagram. That's the dude that they modeled the attire and the look in training day. Uh, Denzel Washington, like that leather jacket, that that chain was modeled after him in San Francisco because the people who were making the movie uh, basically were doing ride-alongs with his unit, which is I think was like their version of Crash, if I remember right, in San Francisco. So that guy, I, I um, got to chat with him on Instagram and bought his book. And then, you know, we'll do phone calls sometimes and just start cutting up and telling stories. And right. same thing. He was like your counterpart up there. And mm-hmm. because they started getting into those movies and like the old TV show Nash Bridges with uh, Don Johnson was like named after one of his like partners on the team was Nash and the two bridges they worked or whatever. Anyway, uh, but he's a cool cat. Like he'll post like cool stuff uh, from the 90s and, and 2000s and stuff of police work he did. But Officer 187 is pretty cool. But uh, so he did crash stuff. Um, then at some point you did some special victim stuff. Like, or yes. so, like we call it special victims, but yeah. 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 Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. Explain. Cause there's a lot of people that, yeah. that don't know what that means. So we'll get, give the definition for that. Yeah. Special victims in pretty much every city, you know, you're dealing with uh, crimes against uh, children, you know, so it's internet crimes, physical abuse against juveniles, uh, sexual abuse. So anything of a very sensitive nature involving juveniles and, uh, yeah, really, really tough assignment to to turn that switch off and go home and not have that lingering in your mind. Whereas, you know, with the you know, yeah, your regular normal criminal stuff, you can kind of, you know, compartmentalize that a bit once you get home. But the stuff with uh, anything dealing with kids is always just really, really tough to go home to and uh, have that have that in your mind for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to get in and get out of there. There's people that did that for years and God bless them, man. It just, uh, it wasn't for me. I had an unbelievable, great squad. Thankfully, I just saw one of the guys today and we were just reminiscing. It's like, man, we had some great times. It was, we, we had to laugh and chop it up. And some guys even mm-hmm. used to have a couple have a bottle in their, in their desk at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. that wasn't me, but I understood it. You know, they just needed a little bit of a little, a little helping hands. Uh, at the end of the day, since it was a bit so stressful and uh, tough to deal with emotionally. So, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody uh, God, just reached reached out to us today and, and requested a, an entire episode on mental health uh, specific to law enforcement, man. And, and you're not a human if you're not taking that stuff home with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that. It, it's just heavy. And like you said, yes. you can com- you can compartmentalize the you know, the, the street stuff and the street level stuff, man. But when there's like, and I don't want to say that, you know, there is a, some victims are not always victims. Right. And, but you know, there are true victims and those, those are the hardest ones to deal with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say I, I, I've, I've kind of made it clear to people that that's one of, one of the assignments that I never wanted to do only because I, I have no problems with the average criminal or gang member. Like I, that's my world. I love that. I have no problem with it. Petty crimes, whatever. Like I got it, but man, you get into like pedophiles or rapists. Uh, I, I know for me, I can't, I can't check myself. 
So I don't want to be in a room with a suspect. I don't want to have to make an arrest and it get any use of force or any like I because I take I take that stuff like too personal. I don't want to see it because I know how it affects my brain. Um, and so it, it kind of sucks because I always thought like, well, couldn't I be stronger and be able to handle that? But I also know I don't want to put myself in that situation. And fortunately, there are people, you know, in in uh, our current department that, man, they are absolutely amazing. And like you said, it's they can compartmentalize. They go in and do these interviews and they get confessions and they get accurate information from these people. So, you know, you're not getting a false confession. And it's amazing to see, but ooh, I can't, it's tough. And I would probably say in, in cop world, you know, that's the, the cream of the crop. Anybody that can handle that and do that and not self-destruct or not lose their temper with the suspect or whatever. Um, I know everybody gives SWAT a whole lot of credit and, and K9 and all that. And they are, that's amazing stuff. But when it comes to like people that I look, look at and go, yeah, they're, they're impressive. It would be people who can handle that and, and drive on with it and lock up some of the worst people in society and I'm, and I'm all for it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. So you, so you, so you've done that. Would, what would you say like your, I guess what, what not like, like what's your like skill set? Like, what is it that you're like, man, this is right where I feel at home. Like, like what is that type of assignment or um, environment that you feel the, the best at? Like, you're like, yeah, this is, I'm, 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 I'm it right here. It's, it's always been in like an unorthodox, uh, unconventional small unit. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looking at the roots of it, the genesis of it, it was you know, like being an, an only child and, you know, seeking, coming from like a dysfunctional family and, you know, seeking that brotherhood. So if I, you give me 10 people, you know, guys or girls as a matter and uh, with a mission and man, we're going to have a great time doing it. We're going to bust each other's mm-hmm. balls. Uh, we're going to have <laughs> so much fun and we're going to do some hard work. And we're going to, we're going to be unstoppable. So that's, mm-hmm. that's my, my forte is uh, driving a specialized unit for, you know, special mission. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that, that's where you could be creative and think out of the box and, uh, and push the envelope. So that's, that's yeah. what I love. That's, that's my bread and butter. There's mm-hmm. nothing better than the camaraderie of uh, that, that small group, that small unit, man. People like, you know, you do a job like law enforcement, military, any first responder stuff, anything that you're dealing with, like really heavy life stuff. You, know, you have such a bond with those people that you work with and that. Man, I look forward all the time to the grab ass with your squad mates. And like <laughs> that, that, That's what makes a 12 hour shift fun, man. Like. Yeah. You know, you're out doing surveillance for four hours. You're not just sitting there staring through your binoculars, man. You're just ripping on each other and talking shit. And like, that's, that's half the fun, man. Yes. Yes. What, what, what would you, what type of advice would you give people? Cause ski and I have actually fielded like DM or direct messages from people who, who will say, Hey, I, <laughs> Hey, I wanted to, you know, join and be a cop, but I didn't because of whatever, co- or uh, 2020, the riots or whatever. But for some reason, they've kind of talked themselves out. But, but now they're they're almost hearing and seeing guests and hearing people talking about police work in a positive way and, and how rewarding it is. But what would you say to like someone who's listening right now that, that would be interested in police work, what they should be doing? If they're interested in police work and what they should be doing is definitely do your homework talk to a wide array of people in, in different, in different stages of their career. You know, the five-year cop's going to have a different perspective than the 20-year cop. 
20 years is going to have something different from the 30 years. So you go through all these different stages in your career. Some are great, some are bad, some are in between. So get a wide spectrum of opinions, I would say, and really do your homework and um, uh, really look at the history of policing. Everything's cyclical in our country or just society. Mm -hmm. Same thing with policing. There's going to be a renaissance in policing soon. Uh, you know, we, we mm -hmm. hit rock bottom and it's going to be going back up soon enough. So if you enjoy, you want to help your community, you don't want to work in a cubicle or working from Zoom somewhere at home. Uh, you want to have fun. And if you like to be, if you athletic at all, you know, it's like sports with guns policing. If you do it right, <laughs> you're a street athlete. <laughs> you know? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you should be. You're a street athlete yeah. that knows how to, you know, shuck and jive and talk to people. And, and, and every day is going to be different and you're just going to have a blast. So if you want to, if you want to do that, you have a the gift of gab, you like to be physical and you don't want to be stuck within four walls, go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and it, but just do your homework and, and, uh, and then the rest, you know, it's, you can have great days. You're going to have some bad days. And, but every day I can guarantee you, you're going to be laughing your ass off. And you're going to have a plethora of stories. You're not going to be <laughs> yeah. rich, but you're not going to yeah. be poor. You're going to have a nice house. You're going to raise mm -hmm. a family. You're going to be able to go on some good vacations and you'll have some great job security. And I highly recommend it. Yeah. I would do it all over again. And, you know, it's <laughs> people ask me when you're going to retire and all that. I'm like, I don't know. Like when it stops being fun, if, if that ever happens yeah. and then I don't have something to bring to the party. That's when I'll punch out. But until then, you know, it's till, till the wheels fall off. You know, it was, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having, pulling I'm that audio clip, man, and we're running that on on every uh, every TV channel and streaming network is just like an advertisement for law enforcement. Because as you're saying that, I'm just going through the Rolodex in my head of like exactly that, like a foot chase, the gun falling out, like yeah. the dumb shit, like getting your pants caught on a fence and rip. You know what I'm like, ripping your uniform to shreds, and you know wrestling in a mm -hmm. damn creek because you're tracking somebody through the woods and like dude you just you just literally did like the highlight reel man <laughs> yeah. I like yes it. yes and, so, and if you want to and if you want to be loved join the fire department if you want to make a difference join the police department you know? love it's it true. it's true absolutely it's true. love it so so ski and i always talk music and we and we love it and we think that's kind of what could potentially bond a whole lot of people together. And we always ask each other like, like bands we've been listening to or what we think some people would like to listen to what's a band or a song or a couple of them that, that like, if you were putting somebody, you know how we do like, Oh, Hey, check this band out, check that, this song out. Like who would you, who would you put somebody on now? And if I, I just put you on the spot. So I know, well, if, you, if, mean, you, if you're not, if you're not ready, ski will go and then, and then we'll come back to you. But you, got you know, I was just listening to a podcast, a guy named Dean Del Rey is a comedian, but he was in a band and um, he has some really great music guests that are like kind of like B-side players. Like, you're not going to hear like Keith Richards or, you know, like A-star guys, but you're going to hear the drummer's perspective. You know, the, the guitarist from Billy Idol was just listening to Steve mm. Stevens. So, so the unsung heroes that are really doing the hard work, great podcast, couldn't recommend him enough. But anyway, like with all the different things that I was listening to, um, one of them was, um, if you have a band called Mahu Vishnu Orchestra, it was kind no. of like, a, it was a real hard edged, um, like, I don't even know what to categorize them. It was like progressive jazz fusion, but it's it, like 
if you don't want to take LSD or like, you know, we're, we're straight edge guys, you don't want to ever do drugs. You could put this album on and it feels like you're doing drugs and something is super original that you'll, ne you'll never hear again, probably band uh -huh. Vishnu orchestra. So as I'm just sitting here, I mean, it's completely abstract. Yeah. But when I was listening to Steve Stevens, who's a guitarist from the Billy Idol band mm -hmm. and He's from my neck of the woods in Queens, and he was in a he was in a great band called uh, with a guy named Terry Bozio, who's a f brilliant drummer who was in a band called Missing Persons, and a uh -huh. guy named yeah. Tony Levin who was in King Crimson. So for mm. some reason, I'm I'm in like a progressive <laughs> prog rock type of thing, yeah. and uh, and then Steve Stevens uh, he did the, um, he was the guitarist in Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana the video mm, and, mm -hmm. and the song. And he also did the theme to Top Gun. So this guy touched so many wow. different little places in, in rock history, you know, mm -hmm. with rocking with Billy Idol and doing progressive stuff and uh, flamenco guitarist. So mm -hmm. look, look, look for the B-side stuff. Don't look for the obvious things and uh, just be a little bit open-minded. And just like we said before, if, uh, no one ever recorded anything out there. There's some gems out there. So mm -hmm. um, open your mind let it come through yeah so, <laughs> yeah. so if you want to get that. you want to get lifted listen to my Vishnu <laughs> orchestra this guy john mclaughlin on guitar just mind-blowing you know for all yeah. the guitar geeks out there <laughs> yeah a random thought i had earlier man and just listening to you talk brought it back but like if you're from Queens, you can say hoodlum and sound kind of cool. But like, if you're mm -hmm. BC from the south, he's like, man, this is hoodlum. <laughs> yeah, that, it doesn't. You don't sound cool saying hoodlum, no. man. No, no. I, I sound like I'm an 80 year old man. I can't be. I can't be like, oh, that's the hoodlums. People are like, come on, dude, don't say that. Like, oh, that's where the hood say, came from. Yeah, hoodlum. exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't. Yeah, yeah I know there are certain yeah, in my yard. <laughs> Ski, what do you got? Yes, man. Honestly, I took a turn this week, and uh, I, I I jumped into Suicide Silence. So that's a West Coast band, man. And why I'm picking this band? Uh, they can riff, man. I guess they're considered like a deathcore or whatever. But the vocalist, he goes by Eddie. I think his name is Hernan Hermita, Hermita, or something like that. But I was on YouTube watching some of their live shows and people don't give these metal singers enough credit, dude. Like he was hitting like these high screams and then these low growls and everything in between, like flawlessly live. And I absolutely love that aggressive vocal sound. You know, that's my draw to some bands like this. So just check, go to YouTube, type in suicide silence live and just listen to this dude, Eddie, just rip it on the mic, man. He's, he's a badass. Now, how, how right many on. how many records of stuff did they put out? You may have just said that, but were, were they putting out a lot of stuff or just? Oh, gosh, they're an early 2000s band, and I'd say they have five or six studio albums. Okay. What yeah, was that word know. you just said? What was that word you just said? What did you Which say word? they put out? How many studio what? Albums. <laughs> hey, 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 Ski. What is the nut that you eat in a can that begins with an A and ends in a D? An almond. <laughs> no, say it the way you say it, fool. Go on and say it. Almond. No, that ain't how you say it. Well, how do I say it? You call them almonds. What's an almond? Come on, man. Yeah, you do. Yeah, Did you I do. say it wrong? Like, it's, like, like the, the Almond Brothers, right? 
<laughs> you did, man. Fan. Yeah, it used to be like, hey, you got some of those almonds? And I'm like, man, I don't know nothing about no almonds. The, the almond These almonds brothers. are good as hell, though. Um, no, I, I like that. I have to check it out. I, I, yeah, man, man, some stuff is a little just too hard for me. Like, I can't get into, like, what was it, carcass and death and, like, obituary. And so is it that hard or is it no? Nah, I mean, it's uh, just they're good, man. I, I don't I also don't like if you get into like the cannibal corpse and like all that, like the lyrics are stupid. Um, I think this was mm-hmm. singers Chris Barnes. Like, yeah, he can do like just one steady growl. Well, I don't know. It's, whatever, man. It, no, this is like these are talented dudes, man. OK, you'll appreciate it. I'm 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 going to I'm probably going to throw two or three out like I do, man. I get a little a little a little too much. But uh, one um i've been on a gorilla biscuits kick lately uh only only because uh i listened to well i listened to your podcast your episode on what dano says that you're on naka recently and then that put me on his podcast like listen to it and i listened to him talking to walter from gorilla biscuits i listened to that episode today but but i've I've been listening to to gorilla biscuit songs all for my whole life but i got into a kick and uh there's a song they have called things we say and it's just like if you you can listen to it and you can pull the lyrics up on the on the internet now, but it's like where we all laugh and joke, but then sometimes we just we go, we take it a step a little too far, or we just straight up say stuff that's just mean as hell to people and not understanding how bad uh, it can hurt them or whatever. But as a kid, when I listened to that song, I I knew it then because I'd read the lyrics. So I always try to keep things like that in my mind. So I mean, I, I was whatever, like 14 or 15 listening to Gorilla Biscuits and being like, yeah, I don't I don't want to be mean to people or like listening to some seven seconds and being like, yeah, I just I would prefer to be a little kinder to people and not and not hurt their feelings. But but I also like the fact that Gorilla Biscuits would throw in like harmonicas and trumpets and stuff and hardcore. And we're, we're a little little more fun maybe than some other bands. But there's some people out there that like to listen to really good music and they're just starting to hear about punk and hardcore. So if they're listening, Gorilla Biscuits, things we say. Do you guys, do you guys mm-hmm. know what Gorilla Biscuits are? Yes. I, I didn't know for like decades. And Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so many ahead. people. I have no idea. Yeah. Oh, you don't know or you do know? No, no. I said so many people, yeah. even fans of the band. It was just a slang term for like barbiturates in New York City. Yeah. Oh, we had you a know. guy on our squad that would always make fun of BC because he'd wear a Gorilla <laughs> Biscuits shirt. And he'd be like, oh, you know, I really like the orangutan donuts. They're, they're a yeah, better band yeah. than the Gorilla Biscuits. And like, oh, oh, he he tells me, too, he's like, hey, how are the Slapping Sally's doing? And he's talking about Flogging Molly. And I'm like, come on, man. Because I had like yes. this work. I had like a work shirt with a Flogging Molly patch, like stapled onto the shirt. Oh, nice. I told you I had a, I had a terrible look. I'd wear it like buttoned up. I'd wear Dickies, chain wallet, Vans, you know, Hell dirty yeah. like a, uh, like a car parts hat or whatever, you know, like some auto parts store. And yeah, he would all he just, yeah, yeah. It's just typical, you know, stereotypical uh, under or whatever plain clothes. But yeah, he'd always make fun of my bands, man. Um, yeah, New York City drug slang though. Yeah, Gorilla Biscuits. What a great yeah. term. There was another <laughs> one called uh, uh, Goofballs. That was another t- term for downers. <laughs> you know, when you talk to some old New York City heads, and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. man, what do you want, goofballs or something? Goofballs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can't remember who told me about Gorilla Biscuits because when I was a kid, I didn't know. I just thought like it was just a, a silly thing they threw out there. And then to hear it's, you know, a reference to, uh, to pills or whatever. But. I'm going to tell a funny story real quick, man. It, it, 
I'm just enjoying this conversation way too much. And it's on the music, man. And you're talking about New York City hardcore. BC and I were at a show. And uh, after the show, uh, pretty famous guitarist from New York City, Vinny Stigma, was uh, he came out into the crowd and we're talking and this and that. And BC was so excited to see him. And Stigma's a little dude, man. Like, he is not a big guy. And BC was so excited. He... He, he went and, like, slapped him on the back to, like, put his arm around him. And I think he broke, like, three of Stigma's ribs. And, oh. dude, Stigma turned around and gave him, like, the most disgusted look you could give another human. And, like, why did you just hit me so hard, man? He said, man, yeah. I, I'm so sorry, man. I'm just so excited to see you. <laughs> He had hey, he, 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 he gave me that lower east side looking out and I quickly realized man I you know I wanted to be like you're in the south and and I'm like Lenny from a mice and men I like I hit I like I like slap people in the back or I squeeze them real hard cuz you know like oh, I love yeah. them man and and we were basically telling them like man thanks for coming to the south and playing I had never seen AF or Agnostic Front play before uh Slapshot opened up for him and just Man, it was a great, great show. I'm gonna tell another story about it, but, but man, when it quicker as, as soon as I realized that, I, we were also just talking about that was his 64th birthday, mm-hmm. and he was making a reference to the Beatles, and he's celebrating his 64th birthday, and they just crushed this show on stage, and I thought this dude's still 30 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I felt horrible, man. Dude, and like to, I love that to, guy. for everybody like that, it just wasn't there. Like the dude's 64 years old and he looks like, like he's built like a, like he's pretty frail. Like he's like 118 well, well, pounds. He's, he, away. he's not, I wouldn't say he's frail. I'm just saying that I got to remember that people are 64 and he just crushed a, a, a show, man. That show you could, man, you throw 30 year olds up there, 20 year olds up there. They can't do it the way agnostic front still does it to this day, man. I I'm telling you that show and remember ski. That's also when slap shot opened and supposedly a dude wore a screwdriver shirt. Yeah, like it was like a flashback to the damn eighties. Like, Oh, we still have Nazi skinheads floating around. So for everybody who doesn't know, screwdriver was an old Nazi skinhead band that, dudes that were nazi skinheads would go to hardcore shows and they'd always wear a screwdriver shirt to let everybody know they were racist and then they get their freaking melon squashed which was good well just like the old days i'm standing there with my brother who's completely oblivious to what's going on the fight breaks out in the pit and this dude picks this guy up by the throat like it's 1983 starcade or something like like rick flair is getting ready to get choke slammed and crushes this dude right through the merchandise table with slap shot. The table breaks, and cuz the selling the shirts is like slap shot shirts, get your slap shot shirts. <laughs> and the dude's like out cold, man. I was like, now this, this, this is like the old days, man. This is an old show, but hey, no, after after front, man, after great. BC popped those vertebrae, man, uh, Stigma was still cool enough to take the obligatory picture with him, man. But he, he, he had that like yeah. he had that look on his face, like. All right, let's get he did, man. Good, I, man. That that's like one of the the worst things I've probably done in my life, man. I felt terrible <laughs> because I I love those guys, man. Like for them to take a chance and come to the south and play a show, and it was good, dude. It was good. Oh um, yeah, him and Roger, two of the most realest guys you'll ever meet, and uh, hearts of gold. Um, ridiculously fun, warm dudes. Yeah. So, and but, you, uh, don't you roll? Don't you roll with with Roger? Uh, or am I that, messing that up? Yeah, that's how I got this shirt. It's actually from his yeah. dojo uh, just uh, over Thanksgiving uh, holiday. 
I got to go to uh, Roger's place and uh, uh-huh. roll with him and all that. So, hey, and, do, uh, go ahead. Do you, yeah, and I'll say, do you know why I say you're the most well-connected guy? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about agnostic friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, Roger. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with Roger, man. Yeah, no, I'm saying, like, that's the coolest thing. Like, you, you get to meet everybody and, and see him. And when you post pictures, I'm like, damn, dude, that dude, he's got it. He's got the life. Crow mags and stuff. It's good, man. It's uh, a good so life I, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I tell anybody, man, go check out. Is it, it's just, I can't remember because I've known it for so long. What's your Instagram handle? Just uh, at Nako, K N O C K O. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's what so, I'm saying. It's like for, for everybody yes. to, to look at that, BC. <laughs> There's it, the man. picture, man. That, yeah, I'm going to throw this up on uh, on Instagram, though. So anybody listening to this episode, they can see the, uh, the aftermath there, man. You, you know, hey, check your background too. Block out that background. I got you. I you got, got you. Um, like like Al Pacino says in Heat, watch your background, get clean shots. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, look, the last song I'm going to mention is Street Dogs Mean Fist. And I, I recently I was telling some people about Street Dogs, and it was blowing my mind that they love punk rock. They're into like hardcore, they're into all these different bands. I'm like, how, how have you not heard of Street Dogs? Like one of the greatest bands in the last, whatever, 20 years, 10 years. But there's a song they did, Mean Fist. And if you listen to it, it breaks down like that point of view of a person battling drugs and then having to go to prison and f- basically feel like a failure to their daughter. But Street Dogs, the lead singers in the song is referencing terms like cop terms, police terms, and says basically made a bolo list or, or, you know, made that list of be on the lookout. And so when I first heard that song, I'm like, damn, this dude is like plugged in, like he's using terminology. And so for mm-hmm. everybody out there has not heard of Street Dogs, get, get, however you get your music, go check out Street Dogs, check out Mean Fist, understand that even though in police work, we have to do what we have to do to arrest people. It also breaks our heart when it's drug related and when people are leaving their families and are having to go to prison. Um, it's a great song to listen to, to get that perspective, not to mention just musicianship is amazing, but street dogs, check it out. And uh, on that note, I think that's probably all I'll talk about with music. I'll save some more for later. Yeah. Yeah. The singer, you know, uh, Mike's my brother, you know, he was the original singer from dropkick Murphy. So the reason why he's plugged in, it was, he was a fireman and he worked on the law enforcement side of the house and mm-hmm. pretty much the, the dropkick Murphy song, John law is like one of the, one of the few pro cop songs that I know in a punk rock stream. So mm-hmm. Mike was in the U S army. He was in the Gulf war. Uh, he's been a mentor and a dear friend of mine for many years and uh, stays at my house. He's just unbelievable individual. And um, he walks a walk and talks a talk and he's been uh, in the sober community for, for decades now and I'm just a very inspirational guy and uh yeah i can't say enough about street dogs uh, yeah any of the realms pick up any of them and they're just rock solid and it's great melodies great chord structures fat beats great music I, I, yeah i would say and ski and i talked about this on a recent episode about some of the best like front singers or, or front person for a band or whatever and when you get into punk and stuff, probably one of the best uh, front men, if you want to say. Like that mm-hmm. guy, when you go – and they used to tour all the time. They would come through and play the South, and 
would put on a hell of a show, same thing. And he would always talk about first responders and really telling the crowd, like, like the, the things that go on and how lives are saved and stuff. So I always had a lot of respect for him and he always made time to talk to us. He was cool with my brother one time when my brother was knee walking drunk and, and he's trying to talk to him and my brother's over there doing like the fake handshake thing. Like it's like, it's, you know, oh. third grade and Mike goes yes. to shake his hand and my brother pulls away and laughs, puts his <laughs> hand back down. Mike goes to shake it. And he pulls it away again. Like by the third time, Mike's looking at him, like, are we fighting? Like what's going on? Like tell my brother, like, stop, man. Like, <laughs> you don't know this dude he didn't grow up with us my brother was like you know thinking that this yeah. was like one of our buddies or something but yeah i love street dogs so for anyone out there check out any like like Naka said any street dogs album and the other bands we talked about uh is there anywhere else people can reach you i know we didn't even get into like the documentary you were in uh but to bring you back on too we, episode we two. i was just gonna say we've barely <laughs> touched the tip of the iceberg yeah, we didn't you know? get like a bunch yeah. of schoolgirls, I think we can talk forever because we have so many common interests. <laughs> yes, yes. But, yeah, where else can people uh, reach you and see what see your stuff you're posting and stuff? Uh, yeah, so the, yeah, Instagram, uh, on Twitter, um, at Nako Nolan. That's uh, K-N-O-C-K-O-N-O-L-A-N. And yeah, so it was all the, the link trees there with all the different stuff, print interviews, YouTube clips, other podcast stuff. So you need anything? shoot me a message and I try to help you know, try to live a life of service, give back to our community internally within the police department, as well as externally in the cities and the country we love. I mean, that's why we're all here and props to you guys for having that flag of positivity mm. and um, spreading the good word, not being divisive, being inclusive, keeping people together. And then, you know, like the old punk rock song, if uh, the kids are united, we'll never be divided. So keep on, Keep on spreading, preaching the word, brother, and uh, keep the faith. Thank you for having me on. Love you guys and big fans. And whatever I could do to help, I'm there for you. Hey, Nako, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you. We love it, man. Disruptors out.